Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Texas Investor shares his winding road from a non-target to starting law school to a sudden pivot to a master's in finance. Learn how he broke into a bulge bracket investment bank and why he was so eager to get out and what it was like working for several family offices in the fund of funds space as a capital allocator. Enjoy. All right, Texas Investor, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on. It'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah. So as my name implies, I am from Texas. I did my undergrad in accounting. Uh, Had the bright idea I was actually going to be a tax attorney. Might have been some family pressure there. Um, So I was actually a law school student for a year. Really knew I always wanted to be in investing, investment management, finance, you know, broadly. And Year in, decided I'd made a terrible mistake, went and got my master's in uh, finance and really built well on the accounting background. And now I'm professionally working as an institutional investor and worked at several family offices and uh, uh, institutions, I guess you'd say. Great. So let's start all the way back at undergrad. Were you always thinking like, okay, why accounting? Were you, was your family like, it's safe, just go do that? Tell me a little bit more about like your background and why that was something that attracted you. So I, it's, believe it or not, it wasn't because I wanted to be an accountant. Um, interesting. So one of my uncles is, um, he's a very successful, you know, big four accountant, you know, partner, mm-hmm. all that. And both my parents are artists. And so I was like, oh, that guy has money. So like, it was just kind of, that was the only direction I had to get into business. So um, obviously that was pretty guided. Um, you know, to be fair, I graduated in three years. So I, kind of like as I was figuring out what I wanted to do, it was a little too late. And, you know, I think that's where I really knew I wanted to do finance or investing, but kind of was already on a path to do uh, accounting, but specifically I was going to be a tax attorney and more or more corporate finance. Um, So look, by the time I was, you know, your freshman year, you're having fun, your sophomore year, you're kind of actually getting into the meat of college. And then really by my third year, I was already studying for the LSAT, applying to schools and didn't really have time to be methodical about. Did anybody you know, like influence you in your family that was like, Hey, you should go do this. Like be a, a tax attorney is what you said. A tax. Yeah. Well, it was again, uncle, he, he, uh, he was telling me what he was hiring, you know, tax attorneys out of school for. I was like, that sounds awful, but I want to do that. So, um, I mean, honestly, that's that was Meaning one thing. The pay, I really, like the pay seemed attractive. It was like eighty k or whatever, hundred k. I was, I mean, 
150 could have been yeah i mean it could have been high even yeah. higher depending oh, wow. um okay but again oh, yeah with depends. your jd that, that makes sense with your jd duh. yeah but it but it depends though like it that's one thing you learn is it that's it's 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 a different thing when you're a high school kid or into college and then you know a little bit more pers- once you actually get into it you get a little bit more perspective i guess you could say so so tell me about how that so it sounded like kind of by your third year you were already kind of headed down that path you felt like you couldn't stop Exactly. Uh, and so you kind of yeah. just were like, hey, let me just take the LSAT. I'll get into law school yep. and, or I'll see how I did, do on the LSAT. So you did well on the LSAT or well enough to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your thought process in terms of what law school to get into? Was like your LSAT like a big determinant of that or was it like just financial aid? What was that whole picture like? It came down to money for me. Like, um, I mean, I got accepted to a number of schools, got decent scholarships into a number of schools and then maybe it's the accountant in me. Like I was, there was some of those really top schools. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to pay that much money for a degree. So it was, um, it was the perfect mixture of affordability, quality, and, you know, they had a focus program, um, Mm -hmm. for tax. So that's really where I left the analysis. Okay. So you, you accept this specific law school, you go, Mm -hmm. and when does it, when does it hit you that that you're just not going to do three years there? Uh, pretty quick, actually, probably when I was moving in. I mean, I, I think it was one to like, I, I knew in undergrad, like it was kind of like your point. I knew it was not the decision I wanted to make. And I'm again, curious, it was like just, the family, tell me about the family pressure then, like the uncle really kind of was like pushing you like, this is just really good. It's safe. This is a path. I, I would actually say it was less of pressure, just more of lack of perspective. So in the sense of like, that's kind of what you know. Um, and I don't mean that negatively, like mm-hmm. my family was actually shockingly supportive. It was just, I didn't know what investment banking was. I didn't know what investment management was. I mean, for me, it was, you know, I think you could buy stocks and bonds, but other than that, you know, that, that's kind of where all I knew. So. Right. It was like, there's, there wasn't a depth to the understanding of careers that yeah, like you would exactly. get from listening to the wall street oasis podcast just kidding <laughs> no it's very one of the most critical most, most critical mistakes of my uh my law school path so you know it's good a lot of uh a lot of undergrads listen to this and i think it's important because yeah. they get a little bit of a taste of of the little twists and turns so okay so you're there for a full year or like a semester and then you just peace out like, yeah I, I did a year okay. um you know it's kind of just made sense of mm-hmm. look to be fair i think I knew, I think the way I was trying to talk myself into continuing is like law school still around about way of getting into finance, right? Plenty of lawyers or hedge yeah. fund managers or investors, mm-hmm. but let's be real. It's a really roundabout and inefficient way of getting there mm-hmm. um, and very expensive <laughs> as well. Yes. So but what were you paying with all the, not being the most expensive, like 30K? Or yeah, I think tuition was like with scholarships, tuition was 10 to 10-ish. So it was, it was like- it was very like I financially it was not a really bad decision. Like anything right. that was that that's what drove it. Like I could it didn't sink you into a hole, a deep hole. Exactly. Like $60, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're kind of coming up on, you're, you're trying to convince yourself to keep going. You're kind of approaching that end of that first year. And then what was that switch? that said, no, I'm going to go jump and do a master's, uh, you know, master of yeah, finance, master of finance. Well, I think for me, honestly, it's just, I didn't know that existed. Again, a lot of this is just like kind of discovery. And you so tell, me when, it, tell me when you came across that stuff. Like when was finance finally like, okay, wait, I actually kind of like this invest, investment thing. It was, uh, it was honestly first of uh, the 
whatever freshman or entry-level finance I took in undergrad, that was like, this is cool. I like this. Um, okay. Again, I think it was just due to the shortened path of my undergrad program. You never kind of really kind of were able to explore that fully. Exactly. On that path. So when did you know, what did you learn about the master's in finance and what, you know, how did you apply to that so fast and then jump, make that jump? And, you know, I assume uh, it was like you finished your first year and then jumped right into your yeah, I mean, it was a friend. It was honestly just a friend that had gone there, told me about it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll be frank, I kind of got lucky with the application, just in the sense of I was a relatively untraditional student. So I think I was able to sail through a bit. I was able, I, you know, I frankly just called up the schools like, hey, this is my background. You know, I, I didn't have, I think I still took a GMAT or whatever the entrance exam was. But right. it was more of like, look, this is, this is what I want to do. This is my background, like, you let me in. And so it was, you know, obviously I still went through the application process and all that, but it was just opening, having a dialogue with the, with the, whatever the Dean or the person there and explaining my situation, what I wanted to do and making sure there's right fit for both of us. So. Do you feel like uh, the master's in, so how much did you have mapped out before? Let's start there before you kind of, when you made that call to the Dean. Um, like, were you like, I know I want yeah. to be investment banking yeah. or you saying, I know I want to be, no, no, I wanted to be an investment banking. But like I knew for sure, right? Yep. And it was like, the, and De- I don't define know how, investment management because it's such an umbrella term. Like, did you know specifically what you want to do in investment management? Like, or it was just like going in? No, in grad school, I knew it was alternative investments. So, okay. um, to the extent you could specialize, which you really can't learn alternative investments in grad school like, or mm-hmm. in any sort of uh, formal setting. So it was speaking with, I had a couple of professors that were either hedge fund managers or teaching really specific courses on like, you know, futures or options or things like that. It was like, okay, this is cool. And so, and so for the listeners, alternative investments, meaning options, futures, that type of stuff, or alternative, uh, alternative investments. Funds? Well, hedge funds, private equity. I mean, I guess you can define it as anything, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're for super, super basic, kind of explain it to my parents. Um, you know, if you have your traditional investments, think your Fidelity Schwab's, they're putting your financial advisors, putting you in Exxon or, you know, municipal bond or, Exxon bond, right? Um, yeah. Alternative investment is literally anything else. Because the one thing you learn about investments is you can invest in almost anything you can imagine. So it's that whole world. That's why I like it the most. It's the most intellectually stimulating. You get to learn about all sorts of bizarre things, of uh, dynamics, ecosystems, just everything. Small and, liquid markets. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Like yeah. um, there's a guy that's uh, starting a fund that's investing in Broadway plays. They've developed an algorithm that helps identify the characteristics of the most successful plays. And so that's the whole point is it's just so intellectually stimulating. You get to learn about things you, you know, you didn't even know existed. Right. And Mm -hmm. not only, not only do you learn about them, you learn how to potentially make or lose money in them. So, um, so that's, that's the best part. So. Cause you kind of, you had a broad sense that you wanted to go investment management. You had that, conversation mm-hmm. with the dean did you feel like you were going to get in because you know masters in finance programs they're expensive they're typically pretty expensive and i think they're a good money yep. maker for the school did you feel like they pretty much had the door open or did you feel like you still had to get a decent score on the gmail like do they is the acceptance rate pretty high on those yeah. uh i mean i don't know about my i think my program was so so but look i think that one was one i should probably be careful saying this so it was kind of one of those like if you're gonna write a check they'll find a way to get you in to your point. Like, yeah. um, that's a sense so, that I get to be fair. Like, you know, that's a sense that I get for, for a lot of these programs, even though they're, they're good, they're nice little feeders. Yeah. Um, well, it's same with him. 
basically too. Like, right. When we graduated, there was executive MBA, professional MBA. I mean, there was, you know, two hours of MBAs being announced across the stage. So I think the key point with these is know what you're using it for, right? It's mm-hmm. don't, don't go do it for the sake of doing it. It's the same with law school. Like if you're going to go spend an exorbitant amount of money and time on a degree, what is the end to that? You know, what right. is, what is, what are you trying to achieve specifically? So, so, so you felt like the master of finance was a better fit for you as one year instead of two, instead of the MBA, exactly um, that type of stuff. Okay. So you, you went in there thinking, I'm just going to go here. I'm going to leverage it to get into some sort of investment management role. And did you, what was the, what was the outcome as you approached? Cause you're basically a recruiting right when you start, right? Because you just have that yep. one, you basically do the year and you're done. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Again, I was in a similar circumstance of, um, so I did banking out of school. Um, I was after my uh, finance degree mm-hmm. and it was interesting. Like I mean, as your viewers probably certainly know much better than I did at the time of like, that is a whole thing. Like the investment banking recruiting process, the like knowing the firms, all of that. And I was kind of like just thrown into it. I was like, I don't, what is this investment banking thing? Everybody seems to be so excited about. And then, you know, people come in and be like, oh, it's horrible. They work you to death. Like it's, it's miserable. And I'm like, why are you signing up for this? But um, again, like that was, I, it's funny. I ended up going that route. Because the key point is, for better or for worse, it opens a lot of doors. Right? It opens it's the doors. Standard... I know, it's the easy answer, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, you suffer, but then all of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, you get start getting calls from recruiters, right? Um, and the key thing is, too, is, is like, you can go, you could be an objectively talented person, but if you're looking to land a job at a family office, a hedge fund, et cetera, there's a standard that at least, and it might be wrong, but at least people are like, I know so-and-so was at least good enough to complete Goldman program or Merrill Lynch program or right. so I, I mean, that's just the way it works, right? That's the game. So yeah, it kind of gives that stamp of approval. Then the smaller mm-hmm. kind of family offices that don't have the training to bring you in, feel more comfortable yep. that you're yep. going to be completely lost. Okay. So tell me about that, that um, relatively short stint, I'll call it um, yep. banking. Tell me um, what was it like when you first started, you're kind of, well, first tell me what the recruiting. So you're in, you're in your master's in finance. Was it, you kind of got swept up in the, in the whole system uh, of that. Tell me a little bit about the, what the interviews were like. Were you ready? Did you feel like you, I mean, how did you get ready and did you crash and burn? Did you? I mean, I, I crashed and burned to like one. I actually remember yeah. pretty distinctly. And it was one of those, I showed up for the super day or whatever, and they make you take the test and all that. Mm-hmm. I like was pretty unprepared, frankly. Um, what test? What do you mean? Well, so like, yeah, I took like an accounting test, like, you know, build a bunch of, you know, financial model on spot. And again, I was like, I was, I know this, but I wasn't expecting it. So like, I didn't, I guess crash and burn would be an overstatement, but I, I certainly didn't do as good as I would have liked. Right. Um, so I think that was, fortunately for me, that was pretty early in the recruiting cycle. So, I mean, I certainly tailored and prepared for the other ones. So like, I, I wouldn't discount that at all. Right. Okay. Um, so. You know, I assume I most got, of it, like besides that modeling test, I assume most of it that was behavioral or fit. Well, maybe with your accounting background, they might have drilled you a little bit. Um, yeah, and no, I mean, they made me like build, um, I remember that three statement. And again, it was it was more of a boutique bank. It was, um, so it was not, I don't think they had the resources. Yeah, so they didn't have, I don't think the process would have been as typical as like, uh, we're going to go train you and, you know, you with a hundred other analysts, you would have, you would have, uh, they needed you to probably be much more prepared. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's fair. Okay. So you end up at a bulge bracket and you, um, are in the credit team. Is that right? Yeah. So 
I actually, I always got confused with the acronym. So yeah. So <laughs> but, tell me like what, what this, like, yeah, what is that? What is so that? I was in the levered finance. So we were within okay. the investment bank and we, my group specifically was working in your special assets or levered finance um, group. Mm-hmm. So we were your essentially working with your companies that were having trouble. Let's just say that. And, okay. um, so it was, it was interesting. So, you know, we worked on lots of transactions with the investment bank, right? We were just more on the credit side of whatever deal that was being done. So mm-hmm. it was one LBR member I was on and I was, again, it was, you're part of the whole process, but we were focused on how would we underwrite and syndicate this credit risk. Yeah, And so, you know, I, that was the, the flavor I took from it. Um, downsides were, I remember, you know, the hours people talk about, right? Those same proverbial sleeping under your desk and all that people weren't the nicest and just to give you an idea of that group there was three people when i started i left oh geez in about a year i was the last person to leave like so it was just you i think under they, a year and you were the last person to leave <laughs> exactly so that's not a good omen that group no, was it, that group was tough um, it that, was yeah uh-huh. and i think frankly they had a reputation for it um yeah. and w- with that said you know, it, it sucked. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, that was, that's how I thought this about good, it. But this, it good, why, this is good. Why we stay anonymous. Cause we don't have to name the bank or anything, but it's just good for people to know, to have their eyes open to yeah. they can get some of that group specific dynamics and information. Not that you necessarily had a choice be like, Hey, mm-hmm. get me out of this group. But just if people do, and they can kind of push for other groups yeah. that potentially are a little more, uh, a little more reasonable on the work-life balance let's call it but no but listen to that like that's serious because like i remember everybody was saying that coming in like oh it's this group oh yeah i've heard stories you're like yeah whatever like you know but it's real right like yeah then you get there and you're like oh shit this is you know hearing about 80 hour weeks or 100 hour weeks is much different than actually sitting there and doing it yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie there was a time i was like i'll go join the navy like i'll do anything like it was just again of it was um, so within maybe, six months. Within six months, you're like, I don't, I can't do this. Yeah, you're getting crushed. Yeah. And so, tell me, you started looking, you started talking to recruiters. I mean, that's early to look, right? It, would, would they even take your call? What's the deal? Or I guess not. It it's is, not early to look nowadays. But um, tell me, tell me what the deal was. I mean, look, it's all the above, right? So, because um, this is really t- interesting. Because I bet you there's a ton of kids in your spot in that yeah. same spot where they're in a group it is like they're getting worked to the bone and they just don't know where to turn. So where did you turn and how did you kind of map out your next step? Like it was all the above. So um, I think the key thing was not to be rash, right? You don't want to like totally hinder yourself just for, mm-hmm. you know, near-term gratification. So look, there was a couple of recruiters I worked with. Um, I actually ended up getting a couple offers from people I found through them. Didn't actually take those just because again, you know, be sh- long-term greedy not short-term greedy that's like kind of one thing i've always you know you should always ask yourself whatever career you take you know position you take um so long story short um actually i think i actually found that job through my graduate school recruiting that like the job board or whatever yeah i'm curious about the ones you turned down tell me what you meant by short uh, long-term greedy not short-term greedy there was some good pay there was some high-paying jobs that you're being offered better paying um yeah. like what like better work-life equity, balance like what like credit no no like of uh, one was one was research for a large hedge fund mm-hmm. um so it was almost more institutional i wouldn't call it like you know you weren't getting paid a ton one was more 
just and what were you getting research. paid at the bulge bracket like i assume you know the 80 base or 90 base whatever and well no because we were getting paid it, that was the worst part is because i got the short end of the stick we were getting paid more of the credit salary but working the IV hours so that's i think why <laughs> it was horrible um i what think was, it was the like, salary like 70 65 i think it was like 70 you know you got like 10 or 15 bonus oh my like, gosh yeah now you see it didn't even no reason to even stick around for the bonus right you're just like I'm yeah gonna... exactly so yeah. i think that was and again to the point i said before of they had some turnover issues and I, that was yeah. exactly like um so then these these are the jobs you're getting you're looking at like a jump from like 70 to 80 up to like 100 110 or something like that it depended um yeah. i mean you could have gone to one of the hedge funds and probably been close to that mm -hmm. um now a in, a couple research, of in a research type role yeah but when i say research you're just grinding out models right okay. um which personally i can't stand doing so that's just not if that if that's what i do all day but look those again that's the important thing is those reputation those firms i knew had reputations even worse right of like mm. they just there was one guy i actually remember distinctly he left to join that fund he came back to the bank a week later <laughs> and I begged for his job back. So, um, so again, like that's the point of like, put yourself in a position you're going to succeed. And so that was one I turned down. Wow. Uh, there, there was when one you know it's bad that you leave a really tough group yeah. to go work on the buy side and then you just get absolutely, it's even worse there. Yep. Wow. Yep. So, you know, that was it trying to be aware. I guess that was key. Right. Um, you know, one was more of a, just capital markets research. So yeah, just I'll say like, to people, if, if you can't find this information on specific companies or groups, there's a lot of chatter that goes in on in the private messages on WSO. You can get a lot of information. So even if you're not getting a lot of bites um, from your forum post, if it's like a niche company, small company, keep trying. Because you can often get like yeah. the person who, I mean, LinkedIn's helpful too, because you can look at people who previously worked there and kind of get the scoop. Um, and you can also look at how long they've been there because I've done that with a couple of groups of like, oh, so-and-so, when you start seeing the theme of like people less than a year, say. like yeah. it should raise some red flags. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, look, long story short, ended up at a, a family office. Um, so those can be very interesting as well. Um, you know, kind of the saying is you've met one family office, you've met one family office. Mm -hmm. So... So how did we, you go about evaluating that? Because you had already turned down a couple of offers, it sounds like. So you were, you were being kind of picky. So how did you kind of get comfortable with the family office, given that they're so idiosyncratic? You know, it's like it's not an easy thing to diligence at all, right? Well, back to the kind of same thing of just, I, didn't, I had no idea what a family office was at the time. <laughs> like I had no clue. Um, and so they had a product they managed that was investing in hedge funds. And so I was like, bam, that's what I want to do. Alternative investments. It wasn't on, it was more in the allocating role. So mm -hmm. investing in other hedge funds. Mm -hmm. But I got a corner office in one of the nicest buildings in town. Um, I, it was, the people were great and it was exactly what I wanted to do. I got a little bump in salary, but like it was really win, 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 right? Um, mm -hmm. And it was a small team. So. And you're working what now, 60? Oh, it's that. Like, that's awesome. 40 to 50. Um, <laughs> You're like, oh, like, vacation. It feels oh, like yeah, vacation. exactly. It was like, it was one of those. I remember for a while, I was like, I don't know if it's all this time. Like, you know, so. It's uh, one of those things where if you actually think about it, yeah. you actually didn't get the salary bump. You, over, you doubled your pay. 
You doubled exactly. your hourly pay. Well, it's the same with like, um, I think a lot of, I guess your viewers should remember that too, of the only thing you're doing is trying to, I mean, do what you want to do. Cause if you're only worried about the ratio of energy put in versus money made, like you're better off being a unionized plumber or electrician than an investment banker in a lot of cases. And yeah. I'm dead serious. Like, think about that. Like, just because, I mean, if you really, really want to evaluate it that way, there's a lot of other ways to make money too. So, um, yeah, I mean, talk, talk to me how you got comfortable going to um, what was uh, really like a, a place where you weren't making direct investments, you were making investments for hedge funds. You just, you just really love the space, the alternative space. Yep. You loved looking at different types of investors and stuff like that. Was that, that's what, that's what excited you. So you're like, this is perfect for me. Exactly. And then also to be fair, in a family office, you do in direct investments as well, right? You so, were doing like co-invest and stuff with, mm -hmm. with them? Okay. So you have portfolio companies you manage, you have co-invest, you have private equity. Mm -hmm. um, so you're getting kind of a flavor of everything, which is really nice. Yeah. And you learn what you like. You learn what's BS and what's not. Um, you you found I, this role through, sorry to interrupt, you found this role through your alumni network, you said? Just the job board on the uh, university. So I, dumb luck, I guess, is the the uh, technical wow. term. So wow. were you networking at all? Kind of coming out of your bulge bracket? Were you like networking? I know you talked to a few recruiters and it got some offers through them, but I was networking, but that is not even remotely how I found this. This is pure dumb luck. Okay, without a doubt. So, um, and look, it was um, the cool thing about this, and I think this has probably shaped a lot of my career thus far. Mm -hmm. um, again, look at the environment you're going into. So the person I replaced was, you know, technically a managing director was probably there 15 years. Right. And so I stepped into his role. There was, um, so it was a family office. So there was the patriarch. We had a couple admin support people and then our CIO, which was located across the country. So the whole point is you stepped into an immense amount of exposure, right? and an immense amount of autonomy. And I think the key thing with that is don't take it for granted because mm -hmm. I was a person for everything. So I met with managers, I went out and you know worked on new deals. I got an incredible amount of exposure and experience. So like, it's kind of one of those of like, if all I was trying How to do was- How did you convince them less than a year out at the bulge bracket to give you this job where this guy's been there for 15 years. And did the guy, did you get any kind of uh, flavor of why that person had left after so long? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, it's kind of one of those, like you can tell something wasn't, I don't want to say not adding up, but like, so he moved across the country. He got married by the way, he was independently wealthy, exceedingly independently wealthy. So this like was the person a, who had been there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that no, motivation. So, no motivation. No motivation. It, well, yeah. And then look, it was to be fair. So there's always a catch. That's every investment always has a catch, right? So this one, um, to be fair, it was an incredible amount of exposure, but it was also declining business. It was a declining firm. Um, it wasn't dire, but it, well, it, why it, do you say that? What do you mean? The, the family office was declining? The, yeah. So the family office is, is one thing, but the asset management business they had, that uh, was okay. declining. Um, the family you could tell was losing interest and, in, you know, look, family offices are exceedingly expensive and they're only successful in certain instances. Um, and I mean, you could just tell, right. The guy didn't have an interest in it. So that part was kind of becoming less prioritized and look, the business, which is say, related. When you say the guy, you mean the guy who left or the CIO? The, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the patriarch. 
the patriarch that the the head had. Okay. Yep. So how often were you meeting with them? With the patriarch? Yeah. So no, he was in the office. So I saw him every day. Oh, okay. Right? So, so you, um, but your CIO wasn't there. He was um in the New York, Connecticut area. And where were you? Texas. Oh, okay. You're still in Texas. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So yeah, tell me of the were the dynamics like uh did you ever it's a little scary going to something like that with given so much autonomy after like being told like when you can go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about how you made that transition. Was it, I know for me, it was very difficult going from banking to private equity because yep. I felt the same way. It's like all of a sudden I'm in this office with like four other people, five other people, no one's talking to you <laughs> yep. or saying anything to you ever. And they're just kind of like, oh, occasionally like, oh yeah, we're going to meet with this company. Blah, yep. blah, see you at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. Um, very different. Very different. Yep. Tell me how you got comfortable with that. Uh, I mean, look, you don't hesitate. You just take every, that was the biggest thing. You take every single opportunity you're given, right? Happy hours, conferences. And when I say happy hours, I'm serious. Like event industry, happy hours, um, conferences, managers coming through town, talking. Like I, you have a, when you're what is called an allocator or an investor, somebody who allocates money, you're given a special card. Everybody will talk to you, right? Um, and you use that to the fullest extent, right? And so that's what I did is um, I, as much as I could, talk to hedge funds, talk to other family offices, other high net worth investors. Um, you start kind of mapping the, the landscape, trying to get a better feel of like who... who- yep you should be watching and who you should stay away from. <laughs> exactly. Well, and build your network too, right? Cause this yeah. is this industry, like this, the institutional investor, you know, part of the industry mm-hmm. it's, well, it's just incestuous, right? So like it is totally. all network based and it's, you know, figuring out, I don't want to say who's who, but like really building that out and figuring out where you fit and really just building those relationships. It sounds cliche, but it's really true. So, and so you were doing all of that, but how did you even, how did they, how did you convince the, the patriarchal call um, to, to actually bet on you when the person had been there for so long and was so senior and had all those relationships? I mean, isn't losing that person like a big deal and then bringing in somebody uh, so green to, to kind of take that over or they, how did you convince that you were the right person? Well, I mean, look, it's, I guess it sounds cliche, but just, I mean, worked really hard. And then I think it was just a genuine enthusiasm, right? Like it's one of those things of if you're doing something you really enjoy doing, like it's just, it, it's not work life. It's literally all meshes together. Right. So, um, I mean, look, I started off maybe as specifically as I can answer that question. I started off in more of a pure research, building their models role, but you know, bringing insights, bringing in new investment ideas, again, mm-hmm. back to what I was saying before of talking to people finding out what's out there and bringing it back and presenting it because how'd you even source those though? How did you even know where to look or where to source deals? Like in specifically, or I know you could talk to hedge funds. Yeah. They all wanted your money. Right. So that's easy, but like other specific yeah. niche opportunities and stuff. How did you, how'd you it's, it's all goes back to the network, right? So yeah. the family offices, club deals. Um, so you just, and, all of a sudden you started getting into these networks of where like deals are getting passed around you know, Oh, we're coming in on this yep. one. You want to come? Yep. And it's a flywheel, like, right. It's a virtuous cycle. Like you kind of put in what you get out. Um, in mine was, look, you just show up, you're genuine and there's a flywheel effect, right? The more people introduce you to the more people, you know, et cetera. And so I think it's trying to do that. And then there, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, when did you feel like you hit your stride? Like a year in, where you did you feel like you had that kind of built out or did it just continue to kind of build throughout the two years to the end where you were like, you know, basically super well connected? Or did you tell me kind of how you felt you progressed through that, those two years? The first year was like just a huge learning. Well, first six months of the year was a huge learning curve, right? Because you learn the landscape. It was entirely foreign, right? What, what are the different types of hedge funds? What are the different types of private equity vehicles? Like just kind of figuring out what fits where. Yep. Um, and look, you, you reach a point where you kind of get to that stride, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, I'm still learning. Like if you're a good per- investor, you're always going to learn. There's always something new to invest in. But for me, it was like once you could become pretty self-sustaining, it's about a year. And then the rest just really becomes really cultivating networks, really cultivating relationships and just, you know, ability to kind of tell what's BS and not. So. So I assume the the interview process to even get this was very just ad hoc. Like you had met yeah. them a couple of times and they're like, okay, yeah, you're hired. Yep. And that was uh, it. Well, was I it? just remember, I don't know. Like I think. No modeling tests, any of that stuff? No, that was just like, it was a pure culture. I do, I do remember one distinctive conversation with our um, controller who's like, I'm still really good friends with. And I told her, I was like, she was like, why should I hire you? And I was like, I don't, I actually really don't care. There's probably other smarter, more intelligent people. Um, I'm going to work in this industry. So it's either going to be with your company or somebody else's. And I still, that's the only thing I distinctly remember from that interview. So um, I think it was just, there was a clear intellectual curiosity and eagerness to be doing that specific thing. So was the controller, did she like that answer? She told me she did. So, I mean, she, she could be <laughs> bold. You didn't BS. So. You didn't BS. Well, You're yeah. just like, look, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm well, I mean, look, there. the big thing, the big thing, I think, particularly when you get to a hedge fund or you're an investor, mm-hmm. this is what I see investing in people or from other successful investors. The number one defining characteristic is a genuine interest. Mm-hmm. They would do it. No, I don't want to say no matter the pay, but it's because I love doing it. There's an intellectual simulation a curiosity. Yep. That that's what's innate with a really good investor. It's not about comp or I mean, I'm not saying it's not about comp or money, but like yeah. That's that's, that's just I think scoreboard. Ult- that's just a scoreboard, but it's Yeah, and I think that's ultimately what drives people, right? Is like that intellectual desire to go find and research interesting or whatever, you know, opportunities. So for sure. Okay. Think, so you're and, you're there for two years. Why as you're hitting your stride in your second year, you know, the person before you had been there for so long, why start looking elsewhere? Was it a regional thing? You wanted to move elsewhere? Uh, the founder shut the company down. So they like I it. said, it was, okay. yeah, it was um, back to the family office thing. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, it's yeah. really risky with the family offices too. It can be great upside and great autonomy, but it can be, yeah. that could happen. Luckily you got two years in there. Look, remember any, anything with a family office, there are, in some ways there are the ideal jobs. If you find the right group, it can be the greatest job ever. It really can. Now, with that said, remember, you are working for one person, and that person is prone to the same emotions, just everything, right? So there's that, there's an inherent level of volatility embedded in those organizations. And so that, I mean, look, that's ultimately what happened. Uh, The company shut down and um, pretty abruptly, I might add. So um, ended up looking for my next gig. I actually moved, you know, kind of, I'm assuming your next question would be, where'd I go? How do I find it? Yeah. That was, so, uh, yeah. Tell me about that, that stint of learning. You, you lost your job yep. um, to landing on your feet somewhere else. Tell me about like, first off, what was it like when they told you 
were you just completely shocked? Was it was it out of the blue? It says abrupt. You said abruptly, but was it like yeah. a complete shock, or were you like kind of worried before that? You know, it's a, that's an interesting question. Um, the abruptness was shocking. It was kind of one of those of like you could tell the the guy had no interest in really focusing on this. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Let's just say, well, what were they? What was he interested in focusing in? Of uh, going to his very large ranch elsewhere. <laughs> so look, I mean, like, he didn't want to be bothered with with. Uh, they're very expensive too, right? They're very expensive real estate, lots of employees. Like they're not cheap, you know. Uh, Wait, how many employees did the family office have? Two, three, four, six. Yeah, so, so it adds up. Yeah, and mm-hmm. two very expensive office spaces. So, you know, you're dropping a couple million dollars a year on something that's ultimately, you know, and so it's just more of a headache than benefit right so yeah look um you know kind of moving on and i think anything i've gotten beyond that is total network driven because it's once you have that strong foundation ideally a strong reputation mm-hmm. that's what kind of guides your next moves um so interestingly um <laughs> our old well somebody i knew um, our old cio i guess i'd say sat in the same office as the person that i ended up joining their firm and so it's just back to that small world, right? So my old CIO, my new boss sat in the same office as my old boss. <laughs> but um, I had moved across the country um, kind of on a whim, right? I was young, didn't really have anything keeping me there. Um, joined a large investment consultant. Um, so what we do, did rather, is large, you know, ultra high net worth foundation, you know, family offices, foundations. You know, we were outsourced research. Um, I focus particularly on hedge funds. Um, so, you know, we there was a number of, let's just say, very well-known billionaires, tech billionaires in Silicon Valley that we consulted on their hedge fund portfolios. So Got it. it was, um, you know, it's, it's as simply, simply put as that, right? So, And why did you jump there? Just because that connection, that network kind of made you feel comfortable going there, that you'd be yep. a little more stable? Uh, there was that, the connection, frankly, it was a job. Um, and did you struggle to get interviews when that family office kind of shut down? I wouldn't say I struggled. I think one thing to remember is, and this is an important thing, like I guess with any job, but you start pigeon, if you get too specific of a skill set, you almost start eliminating yourself. So yeah, I, I'd done a lot of work in alternative investments, but like, there's not a ton of people that, you know, it's like, you know, that are looking for, oh, I need a hedge fund private equity analyst. Like there's not a ton of those jobs out there, right? So it was kind of a, it was a- Like an alternative investment fund of funds person or whatever. I, there are those funds yeah. though. Like there's a lot of them in New York and stuff. Did you ever consider going to New York? Um, I did. I mean, between you and me, I don't know. Uh, I spent a lot of time for- work there. I don't know if I want to live there. But. Fair. Okay. So um, yeah, so you're okay. So you're you move somewhere else. You, you yep. get this role. It takes you a while though to land in that role. So did you have other offers that you turned down again? Were you being picky even though you were unemployed? Yeah, I mean I think there was only one or two. Um and I think those were more in your pension kind of world. And so that's that's a different game. It's a little less I don't want to say well I guess entrepreneurial literally, but um 
it's the way pensions allocate investments are more risk averse, right? So it's your job is why, to meet. Why are you saying that's more entrepreneurial? I would think it's the opposite. No, no, less, less entrepreneurial. Oh, less entrepreneurial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Okay. So it's, uh, I mean, look, the whole point is like your job is to keep it in the, you know, keep it down the fairway. Right. So yep. nothing, nothing. Didn't needs, excite you. Didn't excite you. Yeah. And I think honestly, um, yeah, I, I think that was personality wise, maybe not exactly you know, the best fit for me. So at the, uh, at the consultant, I was actually there only briefly, um, mm-hmm. back to the network. I had a f- colleague that I met in the area who ran an investment firm and he took a position, you know, when I moved up there, we talked ideas, we stayed in touch, you know, we, I had, uh, helped him get into a couple of specific investments and, um, at, the previous, at your previous firm. At both, actually. At both, so, okay. Yeah. And just, again, stayed in touch, tried to be, you know, creative wherever I could. And he'd actually reached out to me, um, took a position at a large foundation, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. and asked if I'd be interested in stepping in for him as more of a portfolio manager, director of research role. Mm-hmm. Which, again, let's caveat that. It was a very small organization, so... Trust me, I was not rolling and, you know, it was, it was more back to the experience and the exposure, right? Because and this I, is the latest role. This is your time with your latest role. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um, are you able to share kind of pay at the family, family office and then to this uh, consulting kind of hedge fund research analyst role and then latest, like just ranges even? So look, uh, and it depends on the structure, the family office more like 80 to a hundred, mm-hmm. um, Consultant, I'd say about the same. Um, now, the last role, which you start where it starts getting tricky is when you start getting into GP and equity interests, right? Because mm-hmm. then there's theory and reality. So um, <laughs> tell me cash comp and then tell me potential theory. You know, let's just say cash comp was 80 to 100. Um, it's similar. Okay. But you have some upside now. Yeah. Right. And that's, there's, there's some funny things about that. But, you know, I think. So is this, um, is this last, is it, there's LPs and GPs and there's carry and all that good stuff. It's, it's a, there is. very yep. much a hedge fund. Yep. Um, okay. Well, you know, I guess in our case, technically we were a, a fund of funds. So I mean, still same structures, albeit more deleted. Yeah. Right yep. now. Okay. Yeah. And so you're doing a lot of the work, similar work you did from uh, when you were at the family office, basically you're, you're going, you're making those connections again. You're yep. talking it. Okay. Very cool. So and tell then, me, you know, how has that been? Is it a smaller office? But well, not smaller, probably smaller than the consulting, but um, yep. yeah. Tell me about that. So we got three people. Um, you know, I handle all the investments. We have somebody that does a lot of our operations, uh, work, back office, and then which is called founder, uh, who does more of the client relationship, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so look, it's kind of back to what I was saying before. Um, it's about the level of exposure you get, right? Because mm-hmm. you're the guy for better or for worse. Right. Um, yeah. and so that's, that's the key difference is, um, when you make an investment decision, if it goes bad, it's, there's no director or anybody else to hide behind. Like that one was you. So, so yeah, that, that's, it's, it really changed the way you think about a lot of stuff. I think, I think for the better. How do you think about like portfolio construction and, and just like the fund of like uh, the fund of funds and how you're 
allocating things? Like, is it super, maybe if you can, whatever you can share, is it super like divert? Like you, are you allocating resources to like 30 hedge funds, 10, yeah. 100? What's, how do you think about that and your diversification and, and strategy? So for our group in particular, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't, I mean, if you're, it depends what game you're playing. If you're a family office, if you're a foundation, like, Yep. Everybody's trying to accomplish something different and you should structure your asset allocation accordingly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do, I mean, look, we help with some direct stuff. Like we have a couple of ultra high net worth clients who will work with either real estate deals or, you know, maybe some co-invest, but predominantly in the flagship vehicle, mm-hmm. we're small. And so what is our, you know, value add to, like, why should you give us your money, right? And mm-hmm. it shouldn't be put you in Millennium or any of your marquee names, right? Like, why would you come in to find that? Our, what we consider our value pitch, our value proposition is we're going to go find interesting and unique investments that you can't find elsewhere. And because the whole point of a hedge fund, let's just step back. The whole point of a hedge fund is, in my mind, it is either the only way to access a particular asset class or strategy or it's the best way. So the only way there's, like I said, an infinite number of hedge fund strategies and hedge funds are pretty nebulous term. Mm-hmm. There's an infinite strategies and sometimes the only way to invest in them is through this vehicle. On the flip side, it might be the best way. So let's think of a biotech manager. You and I could go buy some biotech stocks tomorrow. I would recommend we let the hedge fund manager with the PhD and MD do that for us. So that's the best way. So that, that's kind of how we approach it, right? So with those metrics, So with those kind of characteristics, the question is, okay, so what's good, right? Because there's a whole bunch of junk out there. So really where we see our value add is we go talk to a whole bunch of people. We turn over a whole bunch of rocks. But there's really interesting managers or strategies or just even investment opportunities. And by definition, these guys aren't at Goldman. They're not at Morgan Stanley's, you know, flagship conference. They Mm -hmm. don't market. They're, you know, keep to themselves. And they're busy making money, right? So that's that's how we approach it. I mean, I, I know it sounds simplistic, um, but you learn a lot. You see all sorts of different things. And I think that's that's what keeps me doing it is you're consistently learning. You're consistently seeing something interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's never, I don't want to say it's never dull, but it's not as dull as some other things you could do. <laughs> so... Tell me a little bit about just some of the pressure in the hedge fund industry that's experienced over the last several years and just how yeah. you view, I mean, there's a lot of fee pressure already. And then there how is. you view, um, yeah, as a fund of funds, how you view kind of your your ability to kind of withstand that pressure. Obviously, if you're doing a great job with selecting managers, there's some protection there. But um, can you talk to me about your thoughts there? Like, do you feel like this is a good place to be? Do you feel like as long as you're at the right, you pick the right fund of funds, you're okay? What's your thoughts there? So that's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting questions there, right? So yeah. first of all, I think the way it, it's, 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 the old model is debt. I mean, I think without a doubt, like the old access model, we're going to aggregate assets and put you in big names. There is no value to that. Now, potentially it's, the question is where do you add value? So one, maybe finding something interesting, finding something new, ideally giving some sort of seed capital and taking a part of the general partnership. You're essentially investing in that fund as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you add tangible value to not only yourself, but your investors. Um, 
I think the hedge fund industry as a whole, so if I was like giving advice to somebody that's like, I want to go work for a hedge fund because I'll make millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there are those cases, but I can tell you for every single multi-millionaire, billionaire hedge fund manager I've met, I've met hundreds that make less than your average software salesman. And, and again, so why would you do it? I know this sounds super cliche, but you have to love the research right. process, picking stocks. And that's, I think, not only what makes you successful, but if, if you're only concerned about making money, like, for the love of God, go do something else. Like, there's so much, like, it's just not worth there's the time. There's a lot time. easier ways. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. I mean, again, it's, if, it's if, if you like the research part, if you like learning, um, just the intellectual, and I, I know I keep saying this, but it's true, that intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be very rewarding still. Um, but, you know, ask yourself that question and, you know, I think try to play a different game, right? So, you know, maybe you're value-oriented, long-short manager. Maybe that's tougher, but can you invest in, I don't know, a fine art strategy or, of you know, government receivable, you know, investing in government receivables, like, there's a lot of different ways to do it that just may not be the, you know, tried and true method. So. For sure. For sure. Interesting. So yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to share before we call it anything, any kind of final words of wisdom? I mean, I think you kind of just shared your, your final words of wisdom, but anything else that we missed that you think is important? Uh, I mean, hopefully this has been somewhat helpful for people. I think the other thing I would tell people is, you know, what's the guy look for asymmetric opportunities, right? So go meet with people, go like, if it's not, if it's not hurting you, go to that happy hour, go to that, just talk to people, build, build your own opportunities. And to the next, you know, to that next point is be long-term greedy, right? Like what, where does this get you long-term? Whether that's pay, whether that's profession, whether that's skill set. like, you know, I'm not saying don't care about anything short-term, but like, Humans by nature are short-term oriented. Mm-hmm. Try to, you know, try to try to uh, switch that build path. your future success. So, yeah, exactly. Very cool. Well, listen, Texas Investor, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom. All right. Thank you. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way. Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. And until next time.